I think good old fashioned marketing principles tied to really trying to set out to what are you trying to do, which ultimately is tell, tell a good story and di- that's differentiated in the market. I don't know which who, who can't argue with that. So are people are you really doing that? Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge, and I'm welcoming Kevin Alansky today to the show. Kevin, I would love if you'd just do an introduction of yourself and your work, and we'll dive in. Yeah, sounds good, Ledge. Thank you for having me. Uh, big fan of uh, you know marketing podcasts in general, and it's uh, great to be here. Uh, I think to tell folks a little bit about me, I've, I've been doing this for quite a while, I guess over 25 years, and Having listened to a lot of podcasts, uh, I, I hear these days, especially a lot of CMOs get on these calls and they say, you know, I kind of fell accidentally into marketing and the role, not me. I've known that I wanted to do marketing for a long time, uh, even in since high school. I've seen it change pretty dramatically over the years, but I've been doing this for quite a while. Um, last 20 years has been with B2B uh, companies, so I've been in the space and uh, mostly high growth, high tech. And, uh, you know, B2B has changed so much over those times. And, you know, I, I want to dive into, so talk, talk about your company and your role now, because I am, I am curious about this and I'll, I'll tell you why, but uh, just give a, give a quick dive into what you guys do. Yeah. So currently I'm the CMO for a company called Jetox. Uh, we're actually based in uh, Germany and uh, we have several offices all around the world. Uh, our U.S. location is in Boston, even though I'm based out of Washington, D.C. Uh, we have a number of folks. We have about 500 uh, employees all around the world, as I mentioned. Um, what we do is we provide software for financial planning and analysis uh, professionals. So uh, any anyone in the office of finance from you know, small to mid-sized company up to very large enterprise companies, those folks who need to do uh, budgeting, planning, forecasting, and analysis, um, use our software. Our company has been around for over 20 years, actually, had uh, have gotten our start originally by open source and then had transitioned to more of uh, managed solutions. And now we are fully cloud-based, um, well over 2,500 customers all around the world. I didn't know the open source uh, pedigree. That's That's interesting. And now that you say that, I do remember seeing the open source version of this many, many years ago. Yeah. So that's that's really interesting. The first thing that popped into my head, right? And I've seen a lot of enterprise solutions is just going like, how do you market a thing that is like complicated, applies to all different types of folks across all different sizes of organizations? And it's not exactly the sexiest, most interesting thing, you know, in the world. And I think that so encapsulates like B2B SaaS marketing, right? And I just right. love to get your thoughts on that because it's just like, how do you make boring, accessible, interesting, and, you know, valuable to people? 
Well, you know, uh, you know, Ledge, I think you're hitting at the right time. I would disagree. I think we are trying to do some really cool things and make it really interesting. I totally in the- knew you were going to say that. <laughs> you know, that- <laughs> yeah, no, but in all seriousness, uh, I think one of the uh, first projects uh, coming coming on board was to really look at our core positioning and messaging. And, you know, ultimately, um, it, it's a crowded marketplace. The industry and what we do has been around for, you know, many years, decades in our case. So um, how, how do you stand out in the marketplace? And we really looked at the competition, uh, looked very hard at their creative and said, there's an opportunity for us to create um our marketing and positioning based on value, not based on features and functions, but really based on value. So getting in the hearts and mind of our personas and and really understanding what would create value for them um, and really then finding uh, pathways for us to make that story interesting. Um, We just did last week, I was in Germany and uh, we did an internal launch of our uh, new theme, new campaign uh, in a lot of ways as as kind of a roll up to what I was describing. Can't let the cat out of the bag because uh, on September on September fifteenth we're going uh, full scale launch. Um, but you know I think we uh, I'd like to say you know at least from a strategy standpoint we've nailed it in terms of finding that differentiation, finding it based on value, trying to take something that nobody else is doing out there. So uh, I guess depending on when this podcast launch and depending on uh, you know my ability to come back and tell you the story or get people to kind of be intrigued. Oh, good, it, good. Yeah, that's, you that's you, kind of my got you early there, on the train. I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely, it's definitely though. I got to say, you know, the ideation, the story, um, it is, it is really uh, one of the most proud pieces and, and campaigns that um, I've been able to be a part of and lead and, and excited for this. Uh, it's, it's taken on some fun things that we're doing internally. So if if you can get your employees kind of psyched up for this. And, you know, it's not just a marketing thing, but a company-wide uh, kind of movement, uh, then I know good things will happen externally as well. Yeah, yeah. And so is a repositioning or like, how do you, is it, you know, people talk about rebranding or repositioning or brand refresh and any of these strategic, you know, initiatives are so multifaceted, right? Like everything gets touched and i just like what's in your toolkit there like how do you even begin to approach that yeah well let me give it maybe a little bit of the thought process without doing the big reveal which is which is this is the way we thought about it so yeah yeah there'll be some branding aspects of it there'll be some new storyline there's a heavy dose of uh the way that we thought about our positioning but ultimately one of the key things in which we which i thought of which we came up with which is how do you make our persona in the case uh, what we're dealing with the you know office of finance so your CFO your FP&A folks how do you make them the focal point and the hero right and and essentially making them inside the hero of the organization sometimes uh, finance folks are looked at as the you know the the people who say no or the no police you know and kind of get in there but instead they're really operating in a way that if they understand all of the metrics across all parts of the business including you know, everything from workforce uh, planning to sales and operating planning uh, to marketing planning and so on. So how do we make them the, the person at the center who's connecting all that tissue to really come in and say, you know, the, the plans in which we created financially and, and the goals in which we have to set, the, you know, the hero aspects. And they're the ones uh, changing the game. They're the ones changing the organization, propelling the companies forward. So that's a, that was a big part uh, of what we're doing, what we're about to do. It's just started to do, but we're about to do in the fall. 
Yeah, right. And you, you talked about the, you said persona, you know, several times. And I, I think that that's been beaten to death in, in marketing, <laughs> you know, to the point where like, you know, us down at the bottom of the funnel, we're sort of like, oh, dear God, don't talk about that again. <laughs> you know, but I mean, I get it. And it, and it makes a lot of sense. You know, the that target person, what what's that persona process like? Like, do you actually do the whole like, you know, it's Frankie finance type of thing or, uh, you know, <laughs> like yeah. what's, what's real in that process? Because it gets, it's so ridiculous now that, you know, sometimes people roll their eyes at it. Yeah. And I totally appreciate what the point was. I just want to know, like, how do you actually do it? Yeah. I mean, I've been a part of organizations where we were making it, um, you know, trying to make it interesting and memorable and, and, and the reasons why we did it, you know, I, I'd previously come and worked at an organization where um, we did a lot of persona research that, you know, we felt that our persona liked more Star Wars versus Star Trek. And yes, that could be perceived as an eye roll and all of that. But but it was important, you know, because uh, of the way that, you know, those two enterprises and movies kind of capture the attention of, of different folks. But, but more to the point was we were trying to make it more memorable. Uh, not everything, not everybody's going to remember every uh, role and responsibility in which they do and pain point in which they have. So, you know, how do you make it a little bit more interesting? So, but in terms of what we were doing today, you know, we try to keep it a little bit more towards the brass tacks. And, you know, quite frankly, what, what are the differences between someone in finance who works at a, a global Fortune 500 company versus someone who might be more in the SMB? And are there nuances in their role? And, you know, how do they interact with the board? And what is the board pressure putting on to them? What is the C CEO pressure put onto them. So that's the level of research, because if you can do that, then the value solution in which we create can tie back to that. So in other words, the storyline of when your board is hammering you over X, you now can package, you know, well, obviously take a solution like ours and then take extract the information and then bring it forward. So we're trying to connect the dots in terms of more about the storyline and, and the positioning in the market rather than, you know, again, it's something goofy like they, you know, like baseball or, you know, like soccer, which has really very little relevance in the, in the game. Here. Yeah. Right. Right. And there's, there's that idea that I, I hear about a lot and I think is, jumps out of that story of the sort of customer empathy, right? Sitting in the the actual shoes of of the the persona, you know, and, and in their real work. And and like you said, like that the board is hassling you isn't a feature. You know, like right. but but we can all appreciate the emotional hook of like, I just want that to go better when I'm out in front of the boss. <laughs> you know, so exactly. um was that what was that research process is that is that customer interviews and uh, mm-hmm. internal external like what uh, I think people often miss the research part you know there's a lot of like whiteboard marketing strategy that kind of goes oh we should reposition to this and it's internal looking when when you miss that no 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 the customer really is this person so I'd love to hear about that yeah, no, it was extremely important to me as well. Um, we actually tried to keep it as simple as we can. Uh, I'll tell you about some of the complexities in which we ran into, but um, we did both internal and external interviews. Um, the internal interviews are not only our uh, executive uh, stakeholders and, and champions, but also several members of the team who are customer focused and customer facing. So, um, you know, obviously to get some baseline here, and then we essentially 
battle test, uh, drove a lot of the questions that came out of the internal interviews to then battle test it with both customers and prospect interviews, um, which totaled about 20 uh, in there. So we started about, I think it was about 14 customer interviews and about six prospects uh, and ended up being one of the challenges is when you really look at the ICP of small to enterprise and then because we're a global company, uh, we had to find folks in in all of our major regions. Uh, so really just trying to make sure you had folks from Asia Pacific region to France to UK to Germany to US, um, you know, we can, you can, you don't want to, you want to find just enough uh, people from all those regions, but you know, in some cases, you're you're getting only one or two interviews in that particular region. So, how, how do you know if you're really getting it right? But the good news was, um, doesn't matter where people live. We saw some nuances between uh, SMB and enterprise and, and that sort of thing. But um, for the most part, a lot of folks kind of solving the general same problems, um, or at least, you know, certainly in our interviews there. And I think 20 is a, a good sample size in which to attack something like this. Yeah, good, good. I love that. Really tangible. So let's let's talk about your journey. You know, twenty five years of marketing. I I see we share the same haircut. That's either because of <laughs> of children or work, in my experience. So, what happened along the way there? Like, can you think of the pivotal places that you know made a difference and and sort of drew you forward? Yeah. One of the fun stories I say is um, originally from the Boston area. I started off uh, kind of the, I guess the last uh, era of the Mad Men era from uh, the advertising agencies. I literally, my first job, we didn't have email. Yes, I'm dating myself here. Didn't have email. You did everything old school way. It was literally last year. was My first year was the last year of that. And then really full swing into obviously email and digital and the whole realm there. So I, I think I got a unique perspective of really um, old school mediums, um, really first job at a college, buying newspaper ads and TV ads and radio spots. And, and that was about it. We, and then, you know, thankfully, year, year two for me was really kind of year one for where this massive sea change was starting to happen around websites and digital and, you know, kind of that phase over. But uh, a good chunk of that uh, led me, uh, at least in my career, 12 years of it, was at a company called Blackboard, which was centered around online education. So Blackboard was one of the, you know, kind of early founders of that space around the LMSs and course management systems, now learning management systems. So got a, got a chance to do a good ride. I mean, it started early on with you know just a few millions in revenue and then by the time i left we were 630 million in revenue and about 3,000 employees so it's a really good run i didn't get my mba because i was getting it at blackboard and you know also living all those times of uh you know doing everything from email and permission-based marketing which was big and you know certainly 99 and 2000 and and then watching it really scale from there and 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 alike here so i you know i consider myself pretty lucky to go on a pretty amazing ride with all kinds of growth and, you know, great culture and team and, and was been pretty successful there. So that was it early on. Um, was able to, after that, um, get into the CMO suite. I had started at much smaller companies and, you know, kind of progressing my way up. Uh, started it, you know, just my first CMO gig was at a startup and then, um, and then, you know, progressively moving up, up the ladder in terms of size and, and scale. And the step into B2B then. So EdTech is an interesting space. Like I actually, I sold in EdTech for, for years. I'm not sure that I 
would ever recommend anybody go back to that that market. But uh, yeah, have used and sold alongside Blackboard, so very familiar with it. But then B two B, you know, where does where does that come in? Like, so you, did you make that that shift? It's like selling to business is so interesting and different. I personally, I'm allergic to B2C, so I don't have anything to do with, with that. I don't understand it. God bless the people that sell things to, to you know, people out in the marketplace. But uh, yeah, like selling big expensive solutions is, is interesting and fun. How did you make the shift into that? Yeah, actually, um, it was interesting because at Blackboard, we had a professional education division. So essentially, we were selling to B2B and um, B2G and, and DOD and, and alike there. So we had carved off a division uh, at Blackboard. And again, mentioned it was uh, called ProEd. And, and essentially, we were selling uh, more or less the same process of what I do today, which is you know, selling to corporations, um, you know, we happen to sell into a chief learning officer, um, but essentially doing company-wide training and the process in which they purchased the software and the, per- the way that we sold it um, in terms of a typical lead gen uh, program is uh, almost identical, uh, you know, from what was that, 10, probably 12 years ago at this point to obviously the maturity of, them, uh, of what we do is, is, has changed, um, but essentially the process has 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 not just you know typical longer sales cycles and you know the, the what we man what we manage and what we market uh, pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I noticed you have a bunch of positions on your LinkedIn that say advisor. Uh, how does yes. that fit into? The world? <laughs> yeah, well, it's good. I've been a big proponent of. Uh, we have a, a small but mighty uh, ecosystem here uh, in the DC tech area, so I've been pretty plugged in and, and stayed pretty close to a lot of folks there. And, you know, probably back in 2014, 2015, I started um, working with some of these local companies here. And, you know, sometimes they're one to three people in terms of getting things off the ground. And and I think what's interestingly uh, interesting enough, the advisor roles that I have today were really based on um, past connections um, for uh, folks who've actually got the entrepreneur spirit and became CEOs and raised money themselves. So it, it, it's really just been continuing based on, you know, uh, years of just staying super well connected to people. What do you find to be applicable from your today world, you know, massive sort of global footprint to the three to five person local, you know, scrappy startup? Like, how do you... I mean, I know it's fun because I do the same thing, right? And, you know, it's like, well, you know, I got to deal with like X million dollar types of deals on, <laughs> on the one side. And on the other side, it's like, holy crap, we made 10 grand. You know? And yeah, yeah. and, and I, I like getting back to my roots, you know, as an entrepreneur, like by helping others. But then you sometimes kind of go, you know, how do I make it? How do I distill 25 years of experience into something that's you know tangible where like every penny matters for, for this company yeah absolutely i think one in particular prodigable i've been working i've known the ceo for about 10 years now and she's she's amazing in terms of what she's kind of pulling together and pulling off and a lot of bootstrap and we meet regularly 
uh, her and her marketing lead. Uh, we meet, we have a regular standing once a month, but you know, we're in constant communication. And I think just some of my experience working with private equity backed companies and having been kind of a co-founder before, I know some of the things that she's going through. So part of it is a little bit of therapy uh, to make sure that they're going down the right process. Part of it is you also have to be realistic on their re- resources in which they have uh, to do and access to, but ultimately it's a sounding board for them and then try to just steer them and not correct them. So it's, it's I don't wanna be the person who's giving the playbook. It's, it's more about, you know, what are you dealing with? Um, what are you facing? What sort of challenges? And trying to say, put myself a little bit in their shoes to navigate it because, you know, to your point, um, you know, my current team is about 30 people there. They have two and, you know, it, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't scale in the same way. So part of it is just, um, making sure they just stay focused on the right things, uh, try to set them up for success when they do have an inflection point of raising money or win a big deal that they can put that money back into have it work for them to get new businesses, you know, for the long term. So just different set of circumstances. I think you'd have to ask them, but I, I think we've, uh, enjoyed the mutual relationship. I, I get a lot out of it uh, as well. And I, I, I love to see the progress, you know, in all of the things that show up, uh, website, social deals that they're closing. Uh, so all of it is just wild to see as a, an advisor. Oh yeah. It's super cool when they, they close the big one and you're like, yeah, okay. Now yeah, you have exactly. to <laughs> that's yeah that that is not my problem <laughs> i just bring it <laughs> oh i see okay yeah that's right over here in the marketing vertical hey that's right yeah exactly yeah now, let me introduce you to my coo friend who can help you deliver that <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely so take me down the you know I, t- I warned you ahead of time you know i like to talk about mistakes and and lessons learned you know it's not all roses for 25 years and you know what what things have mattered that didn't go well? Yeah, I think the things that have been a little bit of a challenge is, is, is the data side of things. And, and what I mean by that is there's so much in terms of process that has to happen. You know, we're very much at the mercy of people who input this data. And you have to have the prop, proper processes in, involved to be able to make sure they're characterizing that data in the way that you intended it to do. So sometimes goals and progression could be either wildly inflated or under, you know, quite frankly, showing maybe an underperformance that's just not true. So the data is only as good as, you know, that that can show you the story in which you want to tell. And, you know, quite frankly, I think whether that's at the you know CEO level or the board level, you really have to make sure that the, you know, the, the proxy for everything is going in the direction. So I think I've learned, you know, some definitely taking some lumps by um, you know, working with some previous CEOs who on a Saturday over coffee used to send me, you know, periodically five to 10 leads and then say, why did this, why did this not get followed up by a BDR and, you know, a lot of that other stuff. So I, I think, you know, to understand that, and it wasn't about him really just, you know, I, I understood it much greater later as, as a lesson learned, which is, you know, not that he's literally following up on every single lead, but it was really just to ensure that the process was being followed so that essentially we would get back better information so that we can actually have either better yield efficiencies or everything else that quite frankly I want. You know, I mean, we're living in, you know, the greatest time to be a marketer in terms of having access to data to know what's working and not working, but it's only as good as the process in which you put into it. So uh, I think sometimes, you know, we can rely too much on that data. So I think 
think it's, it's just having a balance of a proxy for are, are you moving in the right direction with some gut instinct, with with some good old fashioned strategy, uh, and that's the way I try to do it. But you know, uh, you know, sometimes you can take your lumps on the uh, data side of things. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, and it's like we get obsessed with this, you know, data based decision making and all that stuff, and. You, you take a page then out of the, you know, sort of the people who think about knowledge management or, you know, corporate knowledge. And it's like, well, there's data, you know, then we should make intelligence out of it, but then we should actually capture something. And, and what you find is that, that conversion from, you know, numbers and stuff into some kind of reasonable intelligence, but then decision-making and, you know, it, it converts into qualitative. And, and then at some point, you know, it's it's not the madman uh, what I said, liquor and guessing anymore. You know, but it is it is to the extent that uh, you know, where's the art now in in marketing, and and have we gotten a little too data obsessed? You know, at, at some point there's still human decision making, and I'm not sure always where that has gone now. That's right. No, I do I do think you know, in terms of the future, you know, the maybe folks seven eight years ago who were kind of rising to the top spots of CMO role were definitely more in the, you know, more from the operations analyst uh, data side of things. And I think it's swinging back a little bit more to differentiate based on brand, which is, you know, quite frankly, the things that I learned 25 years ago. So, you know, I think the pendulum is just kind of going back and forth. The truth is you need both. And the truth is you can over-index on, on, on both. So it, it, the question is, how do you, how do you make them both right? I, I personally just try to keep, the data relatively simple to a few key things that we can all agree on with my head of sales, my CEO, the rest of the go-to-market team saying, hey, we're just extremely focused. And, you know, for my marketing and demand gen and field teams, it's just, you know, for us, it's, are we generating pipeline? You know, is are, is the stuff we're doing? And then quite frankly, we set targets both on a top and tops down and a bottoms up approach to the models in which we create. And we put a op number out there in terms of the quarterly target, which we have to hit. And, you know, the folks in Asia, France and so on, you know, they literally know their number and we get weekly reports and we don't want to freak out over it, you know, but if you start to see some two or three weeks where you're not kind of going to hit the number by the end of the, the quarter, then usually there's some alarms. Maybe the campaigns aren't working. Maybe, you know, we got to go back and, and kind of investigate a little bit further. And sure enough, there's always something uh, you find. When, when something's not working, usually when you dig in, you always find what the, you know, one, maybe even two or three culprits that is going on. So then you make the course correction and you, yeah, and you move forward, right? Yeah, right, right. And, you know, the biggest thing with data I've always found is like, you wish you tracked something else historically and you can't go back and fix it. And, you know, you wish you knew data dimension X and then you can say, well, we'll track it going forward. But now, oh, we lot, we should have thought of that. You know, I, but you can't track all the things and you have hundreds of dimensions and, and you're still wrong. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and it's just interesting. I mean, there's plenty of things that I wish we could, track uh even inside my corporate organization and we're just not there yet um we will get there um but you know right now i just want to make sure we have a lot of north stars and so that we're setting goals against our programs and quite frankly are, are we hitting to the anticipated targets or getting close to it if not why not i mean these seem like reasonable goals to begin 
a quarter or a campaign or whatever, but, uh, you know, why, why isn't it working? And if it is working, usually you see that in the uh, bell ringing in which sales does anyway. <laughs> right, right. We all down at the bottom really do appreciate when, when there are good opportunities that we can close. I'll say that. So absolutely. Cool. Cool. Well, so I like to wrap up with, you know, I, I just ask everybody, put your future hat on and, and kind of go, what, what things should be on their radar for the, the B2B leaders who are listening, um, you know, next two, three years, which is now oddly a, a long-term horizon <laughs> based on the pace of change these days. Yeah. I, I think for me is and what we just talked about is, uh, you know, I think everybody's been differentiating or, or trying to optimize uh, based on data. To me, the differentiation is, is going to be back on brand. Um, what is the story in which we tell? How do you stand out in the marketplace that's just unique and different? It's It becomes pretty, uh, if, if you do the work and, you know, again, I'm proud of, of the work that we've done, but it, it took several months. It took, I remember we kicked off uh, this project in February and uh, we just had our internal launch last week. So that that is uh, about doing the proper interviews and our you know core positioning and messaging and getting that alignment internally and, and making it feel um, like it, it's definitely something that we can uh, a winning you know proposition in, in a like here. So I think good old fashioned marketing principles tied to really trying to set out to what are you trying to do, which ultimately is tell, tell a good story and di that's differentiated in the market. I don't know which, who, who can't argue with that. So are people, are you really doing that? And when I talk to other marketers, they say, oh, I don't have time. I don't have the right alignment. I don't have uh, the ability to change my brand. I don't have the ability to change my story. So I think you got to find what's find fight the good fight. And and uh, especially if you think it's going to be a way to uh, do that. So that would be my advice. You know, go back to basics and, and fight the good fight. Well played. Well played. Kevin, thanks for coming to hang out. If um, anybody's resonating, wants to reach out to you, what's the best channel to do that? Yeah, LinkedIn is the best. I, I, you know, I connect with most uh, folks on there, except for, you know, people who seem like spam bots these days. But uh, just, you know, tell everybody who listened to heard me on the podcast and absolutely happy to connect. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming out. Really appreciate the insights. Thanks, Lech. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.